Welcome everyone to episode 13 of Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Beautiful day for a podcast, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and we had a lovely response actually, talking about podcasts. We had a lovely response from our last podcast about obesity as well. Some mixed thoughts, but yet again, some interesting conversations along the way. Absolutely, Matt. And it's important just to keep discussing these topics. So if you haven't listened to episode 12, do have a listen and by all means, feedback as much comments, positive or negative, that you have on the subject. Thank you, Melf. And today's topic, we're going to be going over something a little bit more training related. Because if you're listening to this podcast at the moment, you know that gyms opened, whether you listened to it seven days ago, 10 days ago, two weeks ago. So the gyms are back open now. So people are hungry, getting back in the gym, Melf, and training. And people are going to be going hard soon, aren't they? Well, you've not been to the gym for a while, it's tempting just to go in and just go mental straight away, isn't it? Yeah, tr- try and like lift what you used to lift like four months ago. Oh, we've all been there. And it's one, obviously, can increase in the risk, but two, it just can be quite demoralizing when if you look at your, your strength numbers. But, you know, there's going to be a drop off since obviously lockdowns occurred. Yeah, I have to check the weights, make sure they're right. I'll double check them and go, oh, okay, yeah, that isn't a 15 plate, that's a 20 plate, yeah. Or you're kind of like, yeah, well, you know, last time I was lifting in pounds, not kilos. <laughs> yeah, or, 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 or now I weigh 10 pounds lighter, so ratio to body weight, I'm actually stronger. Welcome to Chewing the Fat with Melf and Grimmy. Two PTs talking about life inside and outside of the fitness industry. Oh, brilliant. So, so how, how are we going to kick this one off today then? Okay, mate. So we've got a lot of people um, interested about getting back in the gym, possibly for the first time as well. Some people returning back to fitness as well. So we wanted to discuss in this podcast, we want to keep it very resistance weight-based training in the gym we're not going to talk too much about sort of cardio conditioning power lifting we're talking about general gym training mike yes so free weights you know machine weights body weight that sort of thing as well and we're going to go through different ways that you can put together your training going forward over the next four to well not four to eight weeks but literally the next sort of year really and now you think about it, Mark, this, this podcast is absolute gold dust. Bargain, absolute bargain. Yeah, so Mike, when, when we're trying to structure from our perspective uh, a program for clients, we're trying to want to explain to any listeners of this podcast how to structure their own training program. So we're going to use what we've done for over 10 years each, combined 20 years experience with programming for clients. First and foremost, I always think, Mike, before I even get started writing exercises, reps, sets, everything down for my client, I will go over the client's goals. Because when we're stepping in the gym, there has to be that element of focus with the training program. It has to be specific. If it is a training plan, then we need it to achieve something at the end. Rather than just some generic exercise you turn up to the gym you do whatever you fancy in the day but in long term you're not going to really see any long-term progress are you mike no not really and whether you're a client or a trainer that not only do you have to focus on the client's goals but 
it's important to take in account other factors like their, their age and not just their, their morphical age, but their training age. So I've had clients who are in their sort of their 50s, but I've got a training age of over sort of 15, 20 years. Some people who are 20 years old, but are just brand new to gym. So it's important to take into account where that individual is starting on their training journey as well. Yeah, and sometimes when people start off in the gym for the first time, like I see it quite a lot when I worked in a commercial gym, as, as probably you do, Mike, a lot of young men maybe adopt sort of like, even a lot of women actually adopt like almost like a bodybuilding style split where they're doing like chest, back, arms on a different day, legs on a different day, shoulders on a different day. This weird sort of like Frankenstein model of training that people always gravitate to because they think that is weight training. Yeah, it's, like you say, it's pretty much the most common approach I hear especially sort of like the younger generation and that's even before we discuss how we're going to approach the whole training regime so it's today we're going to hopefully just give you a different sort of approach to things and there will be days where you will need to do a split routine like but that's not always going to be the best approach for you yeah I mean so what the most common question Mike that I'm going to ask you I'm going to pretend to be client you're you're the trainer so Mike if I was a client walking in for the first time in the gym and I approach you about sort of helping me out with, with my training. Um, what would you advise I do starting off? Well, I think once we establish where your starting point is, because that will dictate generally how we approach it. So if you said come from a, a different gym, a different trainer, and you were fairly advanced in your lifting techniques, after analyzing how you move and what requirements you have and, how much time you have then we'll go into it whereas if you're a brand new uh, gym member never trained before we'll start off with just building a strong foundation for you to train so we wouldn't even just talk about split days we'll probably go into like a general whole body program yeah um, that which will probably entail anywhere between two to three days per week and just cover pretty much all the main muscles in the body but really focus on low intensity in the weight wise and just focus on movement really matt Yes, yeah, so I'm a big fan of the full body split, Mike, as well. I think it's really a good split for someone maybe starting off for the first time. Um, because if you take a, an absolute beginner and you subject them to the, the killer leg session from hell, that client or that member is not going to come back. They're not going to come back to the gym. They're, they're going to be put off. So having a full body split, as you said, a little bit lower intensity, a little bit lower volume, means they can sort of target muscle groups all over their body and not feel this severe feeling of DOMS after they train. Absolutely. And all you're doing is anatomical phase, essentially is where you're just preparing your body for the demands of weight training, your tendons, your joints, you're just getting your clients to, to move properly so that when you do load them with additional intensity, then they will, the body can handle that additional yeah. sort of weight. Even if you're not going to get a personal trainer, just take time just to build yourself into the gym. You know, don't go straight into lifting as much as you can. That's not going to achieve anything. For yourself, when you first run a gym, finding out how much you can lift is only really going to do much for your ego, but mm. do more harm than good. Yeah. Well, on the subject, you mentioned like max lifts. I'm quite opposed of doing one rep maxes, really. Only maybe with certain individuals, like you said, who are attempting stuff like powerlifting meets, Olympic weightlifting and whatnot. Like yourself and me, we we periodize our sort of clients training and that basically is like devising like an annual plan of how you're going to 
split up their training into different blocks and different and of different blocks you'll have ways to train or different intensities and there are generally three different sort of approaches really and the most common one that we that we see is like is what's called linear okay and i'll just i won't go on too much but really that's divided into what's called a macro cycle you might hear which is like nine to twelve months like an annual plan and then within that macro cycle you've got meso cycles which are generally three to four months and also then you've got micro cycles which are generally between one to four weeks okay and then what happens with like a linear based training program is that it's generally a really good one for sort of building foundation sort of like for like your general new gym goer or for perhaps even sport for athletes who just need to peak once a year like for example yeah. like like yourself like running a marathon so you might want to periodize your training to be able to increase yeah. the, the intensity throughout the year. So you've got one peak throughout the year. So, I mean, yeah. for example, you might do three to four months and then you'll just increase the, the intensity and load throughout that. And then what you might do, you might then go on to a different type of training. So you might do endurance for three months. Then you might do hypertrophy, which is basically like muscle building training for three months. And then you might do strength for three months and, and build from there. Yeah, and I think that's why it's quite important to decide when you when you're focusing on these like microcycles of training, what the what the focus is, what is the goal with this training yeah. plan. Definitely, absolutely, and you know that's just sort of one sort of approach, which is more commonly. And but it's important to understand that's not always going to be the, the right approach for you. Like I mentioned, we may have individuals that come to us with years of experience, like and they might require a, another type of programming. And sometimes a, a non-traditional approach called non-linear or undulating is more of a approach whereby you have different frequencies of intensity and volume. For example, you may have one week, you might have endurance. Another week, you might do strength. Another week, you might do power. This can also fluctuate daily and also fortnightly as well. So this is perhaps for, say, athletes or individuals who need to peak in their training like more often throughout the year. So sometimes linear isn't always going to work for the individual, especially for people who are, who are generally experienced in training because you might need different ways to stimulate your body to, to get stronger rather than going through the same cycle over and over. Cycle, yeah. 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 So if, if I was you know, a general gym goer mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want to go to do a one rep max bench press because it scared the shit out of me, mm-hmm. how would I know like what percentage to lift at, what weight I should lift? Is there a way I can measure that? any other way than rather working off a percentage of a one rep max if you're sensible enough you can generally use like the rate of perceived exertion sometimes also known as if your aim is to lift six times and by five reps in you're not even feeling anything at all and you can literally do another six reps and you know that obviously the intensity is not quite there Mm. on the flip side if you get to three reps and you're about to pop a blood vessel then you think okay well maybe i need to dial it back a little bit so sometimes just using your own common sense i know which is not always the best thing if you're not experienced with training. Yeah, I, I suppose almost you're rating your set out of 10 of intensity, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you find that, Matt? Um, I, I, use, I use a mixture of things. I use a mixture of things for different clients. With a lot of online clients, I don't really give them sort of guided percentages to work with um, because I don't really have face-to-face contact physically with these clients. So I'll use something like RPE, which is, uh, as much as a rate perceived exertion, or something I've come across in the last few years was called RIR. These are called reps in reserve. So if I was to say to Sandra, or Sandy, um, can you back squat me a weight? And I want you to have two 
RIR, reps in reserve. And then she'll pick a weight. She'll go up to eight reps and she'll turn around or she'll WhatsApp me and go, oh yeah, I could have done another four reps on top of that, I reckon, before I would have failed that squat. So I'll be like, okay, take the weight up a little bit, does the set again. And yet again, if she's, like I say, I could only do two more reps, absolute top end, then we know we've got the right weight. And progressively over time, as you get stronger, you get more conditioned to the load of what you're lifting, that you're increasing the weight gradually, and obviously your, your reps in reserve do change. But anywhere I would say between a general lift in the gym, you're looking to at least sort of two to three reps left in the tank before you fail the lift completely. An important thing to recognize here is uh, sometimes I've had a, a situation where I've programmed, say, three sets of eight for a client, and they said, okay, well, I felt good on eight, so I did 12 reps. Mm. And if that's the case, if you're in gym and you've got a program, whether it be online or whether you create it yourself and you program yourself sort of eight reps, but then you do sort of 12, 15 reps, then you're kind of going out of that training stimulus that you want to achieve. Rather than think, okay, well, I've done more reps, which means I'll get better. Yes, you are going to improve perhaps in your strength, endurance, and, and that side. So you're not doing anything sort of terrible. However, you're not going to get the right stimulus that you want based on those repetitions. So you're better off. Okay, so that eight felt good. Next, next set, I'm going to increase that weight. Rather than thinking, right, the more reps, the better. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as well. If, if you, I'm a big fan of rep ranges rather than exact set reps. So rep range would be, say, for example, between eight and twelve reps. If I have a client hit four sets of twelve on a certain weight, that'd be a good indicator to take the weight up, rather than Mike said, like you said, rather than just increasing up to fifteen, eighteen, twenty reps or so forth. Uh, talking of which, Matt, talking of exercises. So, say for example, I wanted to improve my squat. Okay. So I've just done a, a four, four to eight week block of endurance and base squats. So I've got my technique down to, to a T. Yeah. I'm feeling strong. I've done some goblet squats. I've done some um, a bit of leg press and just got my technique right. I've got a bit of strength there. And I want to start doing back squat. Yeah. Based on me doing a whole body program three days a week. But I want to focus on getting my squat better. Okay, so when, when we look at these like movements such as like the squat, the bench and the deadlift, which, you know, if you look at generalized sort of, of gym training, these, these programs are, are built around these three exercises. Some other movements such as like a shoulder press, an overhead press or a pull up or whatnot. But a lot of gym routines are based around these three movements, you know, deadlift, bench and squat. And these are essentially most bang for your buck exercises because they're going to target big, strong muscle groups and you've got an upper body push a lower pull and a lower push. So when we focus on a squat, the primary muscle we're going to be focused on is working your quads. So it's on the front of your thighs. Now, bear in mind, your quads aren't solely working on their own because an exercise such as a squat is what is called a multi-joint movement. This is where there are multiple joints moving through one exercise. So for example, with a squat, first thing that's going to happen, your hips are going to go back. Your knees are going to flex and your ankles are going to flex as well. So we're moving over multiple joints rather than, say, 
something like a bicep curl, which is a single joint movement or like an isolation exercise. The only thing that really moves is going to be your elbow. So a movement like a squat should always be positioned at the start of a routine when you have a little bit more focus, a little bit more clarity, and you're not under fatigue. So when we've done our squats, we can do exercises that can assist us getting a greater squat. These are other movements that also focus on the legs, such as um, I'm a big fan of Bulgarian split squats. Mike, big fan? Oh, absolutely love them, mate. It is probably one of the most naughtiest movements ever. If you, if you don't know what a Bulgarian split squat is, you can pop your back leg on a sofa, on a bench, or whatever. Just raise your back leg up, bring your front leg forward, lower yourself down towards the floor so your knee gets low to the floor and push up on one leg. And this exercise seriously targets. I always find it hits my, my glutes a little bit more than it does my quads. So th these are movements that are maybe not as heavy as the back squat that you can put in after the big movement. Sometimes if you have a weakness in a certain area, so for example, if you're, you've got weak hamstrings, but you've got really strong quads, then it may be a useful exercise to, you know, some hamstring movements like a single leg deadlift or some hamstring curls or yeah. even just basic movements like even the stability ball curls to really build some strength in those areas so yeah. you know we're all built differently and once you've worked out what muscles are, are predominantly used for that exercise like squat like we you know like matt mentioned quads hamstrings glutes calves it's focused perhaps on a lot of areas that that you perhaps struggle with i've got a really good analogy for you mike do you want to hear it Ooh. when i'm talking to people about a deadlift and they say, my back hurts during a deadlift. Okay. Yeah, my back hurts during deadlift. My back always pumps up. I don't Final. feel my legs, anything, all spine. If you watch that Mike Tyson, <laughs> Mike Tyson meme, spinal. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, basically, the way I've described a deadlift, you've just got to look at the movement of deadlift. Okay, Say, for example, it's going to be about 70% hamstrings, 20% glutes and 10% lower back. And obviously there's some other muscles working like your rectors and up into your traps and whatnot, but generally like that. And we've got to think that as like Barcelona. Yeah. You've got Iniesta, Mike, who's the other one? Oh, Xavi. Xavi and Messi, oh, yeah. So they're working the midfield. They're working as a team. Barcelona are really good as a team. Same as like your deadlift, your hams, glutes, and your back. They're working as a team. Now what happens is if we take two of them players off, Poor in Iniesta is going to try and overload and do the work too much himself. So Iniesta is the lower back. Okay, so if the others aren't pulling their weight on the team, then the lower back or Iniesta is going to be doing too much work. And that's why people get sore backs after deadlifting because, as you said, weak glutes, weak hamstrings. So when it comes to improving a lift, we have to identify where our weaknesses and then entail them into our accessory movements after the movement itself. So when it comes to doing accessory movement, say for example, we've got him on the, say, the seated hamstring curl. So what sort of rep ranges would be probably ideal? Well, if you've ever tried to do 15 or 20 reps in a deadlift, you'll know how seriously damaging that is to your body, let alone your hamstrings. So when we're on such exercises, such as, like, as you said, Mike, hamstring curl machine, almost a fixed position where we're not using our core muscles um, as much, we're not moving as much when we're in a machine. So we can push the exercise a little bit harder because the chances of injury are far less than us going ham on the deadlift. Sometimes if you haven't got 
access to accessory movements like a hamstring curl or dumbbells, you might do a, say, single leg stability ball curl. And if you've not tried, ever tried that before, that is really oh, tough. What we spoke about in another podcast, we can progressively overload it by increasing our time under tension by going slow as well. Um, one thing I was going to also pick up on is also not mentioned so far is rest periods. Rest yeah. periods are in between sets. So looking at obviously different phases and different sort of rep ranges, the common theory is that the heavier we go, the more rest we will require. And I think that's a common, sometimes mm. it's important to recognize that if you are doing heavy lifts, then you do need that rest time. It's not all about sweating. It's not all about that that high intensity and we're all individual and, and flip side as well if you're an endurance athlete and you're looking to improve endurance if you're having a two minute rest in between your 15 15 reps of goblet squats and that's you're not really getting the the benefits and the adaptation for that muscular endurance as well yeah i think it's where it becomes quite specific doesn't it as well if you're lifting the lower rep ranges on a deadlift like you know three to five reps the goal is to get stronger and actually improve the quality of, of lifting that way. Um, so you do need that, you know, good few minutes rest in between each set. Exactly on the other flip side of it, endurance as well, training for endurance, minimal rest breaks. And I think you mentioned it earlier in your last comment, Mike, about time under tension. So when we're in the gym, if we're focusing on these, especially these smaller isolated movements, such as like a bicep curl, um, maybe even like a lat pull down, we would really want to feel these muscles work so there needs to be an element of there's, there's there's three phases of lift isn't there mike there's a um a concentric which if you imagine a bicep curl i'm doing it now on zoom is you're bringing the bar up towards your shoulder your dumbbell up towards your shoulder so that's the lift then you've that's got awesome. your ah, <laughs> then you've got your <laughs> then you've got like an you've got like almost an isolation control so it's the ability to hold that weight for a second under, under tension and then you've got your eccentric, which is lowering phase, which again needs to be controlled. Now, a lot of people will maybe like sort of usually skip out, not be able to hold an exercise at the top or just drop the dumbbell and don't have any eccentric mic. Yes, I think you can waste that part of it. He's another, another, another. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Go on, go on, go on. Here we go. Here ready, go. You washed an apple. Looking forward to it. You know, you peel the apple off. Peel the apple from the outside, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, yeah, 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 go on. Open up, juice it, and then throw away the rest of the natural fibrous. So you're actually only getting the apple juice from it. Why don't you just not eat the apple and get the full benefit of the full nutrients? And that with lifting as well, the eccentric part of the lift is often ignored. And that's some, you know, you can get some really good performance enhancement through mm. the lengthening phase of a movement, not only through sort of growth, but also just through athletic performance as well. But also, it just reduces the amount of risk of injury too. So that's how injuries happen sometimes on your elbows, shoulders, by just that dropping the weight or not doing it in a controlled format. Do you know what else it reduces as well? Oh, go for it. People's egos. Ah, oh, well, you know, but the, the, the rule of thumb is the louder you drop the weight, the stronger you are. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from head height. Just that, oh, yeah. Just drop it. Yeah, and dumbbells just bounce all the way over the gym, and you know, end up ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so when it comes to a, a sort of almost a training structure as well, I got asked this the other day. Actually, I got a, a guy asked me the other day, and he said, "Like, man, I, I really hate training legs. I, I'm going to go back to the gym." And the thought of a leg day, 
you know, gives me anxiety thinking about that feeling of doing all legs in a session. So I said to him, Jim, his name isn't Jim. I'm telling his name's Jim. Jim, what you got to do here, mate, is at the end of every session, he was training three days a week, just put in one leg exercise every day, Jim, at the end of your session. So on Monday, he does his back squats. On um, Wednesday, he does his walking lunges because no one likes doing walking lunges. Friday, he'll do his deadlift. And just by then, with, with Jim's program, we've already snuck in some leg exercises and he's not feeling that chronic feeling of fatigue and he's not dreading almost that leg session. So it can be almost quite clever when it comes to programming. Like, I've worked with a lot of female clients and a lot of, I don't want to be stereotypical, but a lot of female clients don't enjoy training their upper body as much as what men do. I think it's fair yeah. to say. So what I may do when, I, when it comes to programming a female or this particular female I'm talking about, you know, they want to target the lower body first. So you do all your hip thrusts, back squats, RDLs, whatever it is. And then we might just throw in two upper body movements at the end of every session. And yet again, be very specific. This female that I trained, she just wanted to have a toned shoulders and back because she said, that's the only thing I'm going to be getting out in the summer. I'm wearing them backless yeah. summer dresses, you know, so I want a toned back and toned shoulders. So literally we just put in every single, every single session, like a push pull exercise. So a dumbbell shoulder press and a cable face pull, you know, three sets in each job done. Push pulls are really good way to kind of change up as well a little bit. I think it's important to, like I say, look at your training regime, have a plan. Like we spoke also about different types of periodization. And, and the last one we, you know, I didn't mention was to do with block periodization. It's more of a, a roughly new way of doing things. You see a lot of the, like a lot of MMA athletes or the footballers, you know, being this one here. And this is more for like people who like peaks regularly. So if you look mm -hmm. at say a, a footballer in season plays pretty much like every weekend or like a mixed martial art fighter who may have to fight at four weeks notice they need to have pretty much like endurance strength power topped up pretty much all the time pretty much and the good thing about block sort of periodizing is that it's broken down to sort of two to four week periods you're pretty much being specific on one area for that amount of time mm. and then therefore you can then reduce it down and work on another part so you know different stages like i won't go into too much you've got like the accumulation stage which is roughly about 50 to 75 percent intensity so then you've got posh word for you a transmutation phase oh, what is that that sounds that like is, something you, that sounds yeah. like something you catch and just go down the clinic with. what was that <laughs> and that's more to do with 75 to 90 percent intensity and the last one is a realization stage which is 90 percent intensity so the good thing about these smaller blocks is that allows like an athlete to kind of like stay at their peak for longer yeah. compare all different types of training look at your goal when do you want to not peak by but do you need to peak at all you know is it, is it do you have yeah. to then at your year do you have to end up lifting the one rep max no well, in that case you don't necessarily need to train to to peak all that much but you know it's important to understand that your training will need to be planned throughout the year so you can get the full benefit and like i say recovery on your, on your yeah. body too good point there as well mike you know say i've been going to the gym yeah a couple of weeks in i've been you know i've been doing some heavy fucking deadlifts i've been going out i've been doing one rep maxes three rep maxes i've been throwing some weight around i'm seeing good results and then mm -hmm. six weeks down the line i burn out why have i yeah. burned out lack of like rest and they call it like a common thing to deload week 
the modern approach is a week of reduced volume. In strength training, they generally still a decent amount of intensity because sometimes you don't want your strength to fall off, but you just have a reduced volume. You might you might only train twice a week. You might only do two sets rather than four sets. And that's always a good way of doing it. I think the most common thing people do is just basically just reduce the intensity of the weight. And sometimes that's not yeah. always the best. The modern way of research has shown that you're better off maintaining a good intensity of the, the weight, but just reducing the amount of you lifting. And that will allow your central nervous system to recover yeah. in order to then restart your block again. Yeah. Okay. Well, I used to think actually, like in my twenties, I used to think the deload was like a fitness myth. And now I'm uh, in my thirties, I, I, I know it's a real thing. If by week three you're feeling burnt out, then use that as a deload. You don't need to wait yeah. four or five weeks. Sometimes you have to listen to your body. Yeah, and I even like a bit of an unscheduled deload. I use it with clients quite a lot. If they've got a really, really, really busy week coming up at work, they're away for half the week or whatever it may be, we just schedule in a deload. Yeah, and I think as well, even on the mental side, but even lifestyle in general as well, I think people have to be realistic with what they can do in the gym because we've got to remember exercise is a stressor. Same as all the other things that stress us out in our life as well. And if we have too much stress in our life, we end up chronically stressed. And actually, exercise can be quite detrimental if mm. we have the stress of dieting, the stress of lifting, all these external things. We're just topping it up. Like imagine like a sink just filling up with water, it just overspill eventually. Oh, mate, we on it today. Tony Robbins, eat your heart out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, on that note, I think it's good to finish it off. And if you're listening to this, if you're unsure about anything we've spoken about today, it's quite a bit more in depth today. Please do add some comments to it or contact us directly for any further explanations. But hopefully we've kept it at a, you know, a good technical level whereby it's, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, just you know, we we'll want to wish you guys a safe return to the gym yeah. and, and be safe and be sensible. Yeah, what he said.